Welcome to the Build Business Acumen Podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Schooler. Today I'm interviewing Laura Gasner-Otting, and she is a confidence catalyst who works with leaders, entrepreneurs and changemakers to help them get unstuck and accomplish extraordinary results. Her new book, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life, debuted at number two on the Washington Post's bestseller list right under Michelle Obama. This is a really interesting episode and we're really talking about growth thinking here and I think you're going to love it. Well, it's lovely to speak with you, Laura. It's great to be on that. So I know you gave me this amazing title that you thought would be really, really helpful for this. Uh, I think it might have been uh, ignore everybody, carve your own path and live your best life. Yes, that's that's what it is. But like a lot of the people listening to this are going to be you know, in organizations, they're going to have to deal with people. So how how do you kind of ignore everybody and do that whilst holding down a job? So it's funny that you say that because this, this, the book was originally titled Purpose, How to Do Work That Matters. And, you know, that's kind of a boring title. Nobody really wants to buy a book called Purpose, How to Do Work That Matters. But we all want to feel limitless. And the way to feel limitless is to not be limited by everyone else's expectations of what success should be. So the idea behind the, the title of the book, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life, is that it has to start by throwing out everybody else's definitions of what success should be. Now, obviously, there are people in our lives that we have to listen to. But we also get a choice about who those people might be. Um, if, if we're working in a corporation and we don't think our boss is right about something, we might have an option to talk to somebody else. We might have an option to look for another job. We might have an option to go within the organization and find a different type of job inside of the same employment. But we have choices in our life. But even more so than that, where we are today, I think it starts by asking, who gave us these definitions of success way back when that told us to go to the right school, pick the right trade, pick the right college, go to the right university, get the right job, you know, go to the right, you know, have the right house, have the right spouse, et cetera. And then we look around and we say, well, if I check off everyone else's boxes of success and I have a job that, you know, on paper looks right and a, a resume that on paper looks right, why do I still feel like something's missing? Why am I part of the two-thirds of the workforce that are disengaged in my work? And that starts by figuring out what success actually means for us and then going towards that instead. Yeah, yeah. So so really all of that stuff is just – I mean, when I was growing up, my dad was like, you've got to go to university, you need to get good grades, you know. And And the pressure that you feel from that sort of – idea of someone else there i mean it's their idea isn't it it's not it's not necessarily what you have to do these days to be successful certainly in your own eyes right absolutely you know we could be really good at being successful as defined by other people and not feel like successes i spent 20 years interviewing people as uh in 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 the world of executive search so i was interviewing people for c-suite positions these are people at the top of their games they had on paper success but they weren't happy. And I was, you know, as evidenced by the fact that they were sitting in my office looking for another job. Right? <laughs> and and I was I was always fascinated by the dichotomy between success and happiness, because I was told, like you, probably like so many people listening to this podcast, that if you're successful, if you lean in, if you if you if you are if you're all things, to all people and and say yes to every opportunity and 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 work as hard as you can and do it early enough in your career that it pays dividends throughout. If you do that, you'll be successful and you know you're successful when you get to the top. And I got to the top and then I looked around and I said, the top of what? Is this really where I want to be? And it's because I was in a job that gave me the the very traditional markers of success, brand prestige, 
nice title, good salary, like all the things that I wanted. And I looked around and I said, well, but I'm also working 80 hours a week and I'm killing myself and I'm not spending time working for causes that I love, um, helping um, it out of my community, being present with my husband and my children. And is that really what I consider success to be? And it made me have to stop and say, well, you know, if nobody on their deathbed says, boy, I wish I spent more time in the office, where do they wish they spent more time? And the places where they wish they spent more time and the traditional externally defined markers of success don't match up. Wow. (laughs) That's all I can say. It's just, it's, it's, it's a really serious uh, topic, this one, you know, and I think, a lot of people, they, they might go through, you know, most of their career not actually knowing what their purpose is. I mean, because we're, we're sort of talking around purpose, aren't we, really? We are. And this is where the train goes off the tracks, because most people say, oh, well, purpose, that's higher purpose and lofty purpose. And it has to have a picture of Mother Teresa feeding the lepers in India, or maybe there's St. Peter at the pearly gates with his clipboard and his inventory, judging whether or not you've had a quote unquote good life. And here's the thing. I spent 20 years helping people find incredible life-changing jobs in nonprofit organizations. And if that's what people want to do, then I say absolutely amazing But I also know lots of people who have tons of purpose in their life who aren't doing anything that's, quote, unquote, making the world a better place. If your purpose is going out and helping cure cancer, then I say go for it because we need that to happen. If your purpose is working so that you can get yourself and your family out of debt so that you can live with financial flexibility and freedom for the first time in generations, I say Go for it. And if your purpose is buying a beach house and a Maserati, I say go for that too. Your purpose doesn't have to be higher purpose or lofty purpose. We don't have to wait until we've made our money to give back to nonprofits. We don't have to wait until we've had one kind of career so that we can have another kind of career that's quote unquote of value. Your purpose is whatever your purpose is. And the only one who gets a vote about that is you. Right. Yeah. I will um I'll agree I'll agree with you on that one. I mean I think it's it's whatever makes you happy, isn't it? Because it's kind of like everyone everyone is sort of they get into a job and then it's like, well I'll be happy when? I'll be happy when I get to the weekend. I'm gonna be happy when, you know, I reach the end of the year and get a promotion. It's like, well, why can't you be happy now? Like that's that's just such a major, major thing. Yeah, I think I'll be happy when are the four worst words in the English language. I think that those four words kill your dreams before they even come out of your mouth. And I think they start to, to they're like a cancer on your dreams the first time you even think about them. Because if, you know, we're, the problem is, is that we say, I'll be happy when, and we assume I can't be happy now, right? Like yeah. there has to be something wrong and I'm with you. Like, why can't we be happy now? You know, I'm the kind of person who has a hard time leaving lunch before I decide what I'm having for dinner. Like, I have a very hard time living the I'll be happy now moment. But I think even worse than that, when we say I'll be happy when I get married, I'll be happy when I have the baby, I'll be happy when I get the job, I'll be happy when I get the promotion, I'll be happy when I get the increase of salary. Those are all things that other people have told us will make us happy. And it may be for example, that you are the kind of person who loves to go on long weekends to beautiful um, cosmopolitan European cities, and that doesn't necessarily take a lot of time, but it costs a lot of money to fly first class and to stay, you know, in the four seasons and to go on these sort of fancy vacations. Or it may be that you're the kind of person who hates that kind of stuff. And actually what you would rather do more than anything else is spend a week, two weeks, three weeks hiking deep into the Alps, hiking deep into the Colorado Rockies, hiking somewhere far away and waking up in the morning and making your eggs and bacon over a fire next to a stream. That's not going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to cost you a lot of time. So you may be saying, well, I'll be happy when I get the next raise because that's what I'm told I'm supposed to want. But the truth is you might be happier changing to a different job where you're making the same amount of money or maybe even less, but you get more vacation time. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of research, isn't there, into into happiness. And actually, I think it's something, was it something like £60,000, maybe like $80,000 or $100,000? Anything over and above that does not actually change your happiness, apparently. I think that's absolutely true. And I think, look, here's the thing. 
in 20 years of doing executive search, I used to I used to listen for very specific motivational factors. Uh, and, and if I heard a candidate saying that they were sort of keen on one or two, I was like, all right, cool. I know we'll have a second conversation. And if I heard three or four or five, I was like, yep, if they're qualified, no problem. I'm going to be able to get them in front of my client. And if I heard six or seven or like the holy grail of eight, I was like, the fish is in the boat. I am good. I don't have to worry about the search anymore. I'm done. But 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 here's the thing. I would go to my candidates with this amazing job that they'd never heard of before. They picked up the phone and talked to this person that they'd never heard of. And I would try to get them to change their lives, move across the country, move across the world and take this job. And I was wanting them to find meaning in the job, but I was armed with a checklist. That was it. And the checklist had things like the mission of the organization, uh, the, the inspiration of the leader, the prestige of the brand, the new skills that they might acquire, the, the, the scale of impact and growth, um, you know, things like personal flexibility and, and, um, uh, uh, geography and, uh, personal benefits. And then, of course, money. But again, if I would go to somebody, I would say, well, if you're making $100,000 now and what I'm offering is a job that's going to pay $120,000, but you now have four weeks of vacation, this one's only coming with two, and this person's got kids in high school and is thinking to themselves, well, I've, I've – I've already dealt with sort of the financial ramifications of kids going to university, but I really am feeling deep in my bones that I'm not going to get to spend as much time as I want to with them and I want to grab every single minute. That job's not going to be interesting to them because the money and the time and the flexibility, these things have to be attached to meaning. And so we can look at numbers and say salary is this or the benefits are that or the prestige of the brand is this. If, if this is somebody in the final capstone of their career, the prestige of the brand and where it impacts their career velocity may matter less to them because they're not looking for the next job based on this job, right? So each of these things will matter differently to each person. And throughout the book, I talk about this as this idea of consonance, that we have to find ways for these motivating this old scorecard of these metrics of success to actually be meaningful in our lives. Because once they're meaningful in our lives, then we can be in consonance, we can be in alignment, we can be in flow, we can be doing the work that actually matters to us. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's that's very very helpful. So when 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 it comes to yourself as an individual, you know if you wake up every day and you're unhappy in your job, right? Like you you know it, yeah? So Yeah. How can you can you just wake up one day and say, you know what? I've decided I'm just going to be happy and I'm going to enjoy the moment and I'm going to enjoy my day and and get on with it can you just do that or do you think it, it, you may need to change jobs to achieve that no i think you need to change frameworks okay. um for some people you need to change jobs so the the my book is sort of outlined in three parts and the first talks about this idea of consonance and being limitless and 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 what's gotten in our way in the past the second part talks about the four elements that make up consonance which we can talk about um, in in depth calling connection contribution and control and then the third part says okay well if you're missing some of these things and in fact you want to have more of them you either need to change your career change your workplace or change yourself and I think the third part of that, the change yourself, is really key because that's the point when you say, okay, so I'm in a job that I don't necessarily love, and I'm working for a boss that I don't necessarily love, and I'm working for a mission that I don't necessarily love, but it's paying me a salary that I do love. And so that is the way that I can see this job contributing to the kind of work that I want. Or you may say, well, I'm not making as much money as I really want, but I'm able to manifest my values on a daily basis through this work. And I understand how this job is going to contribute to the velocity of the career trajectory that I'm looking to build. And that's how it's contributing to my life, right? It's, it's, it's thinking about the job in ways of this job doesn't have to be all things, but it has to allow me to see at least into the future, this is helping me get to some kind of calling that I have. And again, that calling can be 
you know, building a business. It can be staying home with your family. It can be, um, it can be being an entrepreneur. It can be building a bottom line. It can be any of the things that you might want to do for your career, but it's, it's making sure that in this framework, you understand how the work you're doing connects to that and how the work that you're doing contributes to the life that you want to have. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. It's, um, it could be that people are just working too hard and they might need to take a break. I mean, that happened to me. I just, because I work for myself, I very rarely take time off because I really enjoy what I do. And like, I just took four days off over Easter, right? It's probably like the longest time I've actually taken off for ages and just relaxed, done, did no work at all, pretty much. And came back and I actually just decided that I was going to be happy in, in what I'm doing, no matter what. And had a real like, light bulb moment yesterday like I was in a clothes shop and I've been to see my dad and I went into this clothes shop and this this guy said so what did you do today I said ah oh, sent a few emails and uh what else did I do edited some words transcriptions it was a good day and I kind of looked at him and he looked at me and it was the first day I think for ages that I really just settled into what I'm doing and enjoyed it and did he look at you with this look of pack, like he had no idea what to do? <laughs> no, he, he actually said to me, it was really funny. He said to me, uh, he, he kind of said, wow, that's really cool. He said, I'm, uh, I'm going to, I'm finishing my college course soon and uh, I'm going to start my own business. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> it was just brilliant. It was really Isn't cool. that amazing? Yeah. It was just like one of those days. Do you know what I mean? It was just, yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, you know, I, and I, and I look, I mean, I take, I take your point, right? The, the, if you love what you do, then you really enjoy doing it. You know, I think that, 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 that trite statement, if you, if you, if if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I mean, I like work. I want to work every day. I love what I do. I feel so lucky to be able to travel the world and speak from stages as a keynote speaker and, 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 and write books that people buy and read and email me about how it, they change their lives. And I just feel so lucky to have this, this career that I've built, you know, spent 25 years building. And it's not that I'm looking for work-life balance. I think work-life balance is this ephemeral, fleeting, ridiculous thing. What I want is work-life alignment, where the what I do matches the who I am, so that I'm not constantly code shifting and, and and changing costumes between the person I am at work and the person I am at home on my commute. I want to be able to be that kind of person both at home and at work so that I'm learning things in both places that can augment my ability to per, to perform in each of them. And I think that um I think that it's wonderful to take time off because I do think that we need rest and recovery. But I also think that it's it's if the exhaustion is coming from not just the being busy, but the time in between the being busy where you have to kind of reinvent yourself each time, then that's a cause for not just taking time off, but really reassessing what's limiting you. Right. So what do you mean by that? Like reinvent yourself in between? You know, imagine the... um Imagine the, 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 the cancer doctor, the oncologist who, you know, can't wait to get home because he likes to hang out with his, with his Thursday night cigar club, right? I mean, that's not the kind of person who's going to be able to come into work on Friday morning and be himself. I mean, that's, that, that, that is uncomfortable. Or if there's somebody who's working part time and maybe they had to come in late to work on Friday because they went to a parent teacher association at their kid's school. But at the parent teacher association at their kid's school, they heard this amazing idea, which actually set up a light bulb for them about something at work that they had been trying so hard to figure out and couldn't. And they can't then tell their boss where they heard about it because the boss will be mad at them about the fact that they were late because they're a parent. And so that's what I mean is the, the, the having to reinvent yourself and like put yourself in your work armor or put yourself in your home armor and not be the same person in both places. I think that if the work that you're doing, if the what you do doesn't align in some way with who you are, with the values that you have and the, the energy and the interest that you have, it's just exhausting because you basically have to shove yourself into another their costume each time you go back and forth right i get you that's that's uh totally correct it's very very hard though for some people i mean some people might be listening to this and they might be like look i'm really i'm really unhappy in my job some might be really happy yeah but 
it's very difficult when you've got bills to pay, you've got a wife, kids or a husband and, you know, you, you, you make enough money that you, you're just getting by, right? Like how you've got to study, haven't you? You've got to, if, if, if you're not happy in the job that you're at right now and you don't think you've got the skills to get the job that you really want, if someone said to you, right, what, what would you like to do? If I gave you anything that you could do, you woke up in the morning and it was the perfect day for you, right? What would that perfect day look like? If if you truly think, well, I'm not sure I can do that perfect day because I don't have the skills to actually land that job or to start that business, whatever it is, right? Then you need to study. Like there's no there's no shortcut to success, and 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 that's the biggest issue I've got with all of these coaches, mentors, um, in some instances, and they 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 almost. They almost people just look at like the PayPal founder. They look at Zuckerberg and they say, oh, well, I can build that. I can go and launch uh, the next app and become a billionaire. And it's like, well, actually, the reality of it is 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 very different to what's actually going on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think what happens is 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 success is this like squiggly line right if like if 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 everything above if, you know imagine you have a line that goes that goes across the page and everything above the line um with this giant squiggle that goes up and down everything above the line is success and everything below the line is hard work and failure and re and iteration um we see only the success and we try to emulate that and we forget to see everything below the line and we don't realize that that's what it takes as well um i think that there are, you know, look, I want to be real. There are plenty of people who are barely paying their bills, who have young kids at home, who have aging parents, who have, um, you know, debt, who have real issues that are stopping them from progressing into having the life that they want to have right now. And I want to honor that because that stuff is real. My bank does not take good karma in exchange for mortgage, no matter how many times I ask. So, you know, this is all the economics of reality are real. That said, if your main quest is to, you know, change your career and do something completely different, there are things that you can do right now. My 16-year-old um, is a passionate video game player, and there was a day where I woke up, and I was just exhausted. I was tired. I had a bad night of sleep. I had too much spicy food the night before. I mean, I was just, I was not going to get anything done that day. And over breakfast, I was bemoaning my lot in life about how I was just not going to be able to get this chapter that was done that I really needed to, to, to give to my publisher. And he looked at me with, with the look on his face that can only be described as mystified. And he said, so why don't you just go on a side quest today? <laughs> I said, what's a side quest? And this is where I learned the most beautiful analogy ever, which is that if your main quest is to go to the castle and slay the dragon and save the princess, but you can't do it yet because you're waiting for your friend to log on after dinner and he's busy still doing the dishes, there are things that you can do to, pre to, to prepare yourself for the main quest. You're a farmer. You can tend your crops. You can till your wheat. You can take it to the market. You can sell it for money. And in exchange for that money, you can buy things like a horse and a sword and potions and things like that so that when your friend finally finishes dishes and logs on and is there with you in cyberspace, you can jump on your horse and go to the castle and slay the dragon and save the princess. So there are tons of things that even if you're in a place right now where you're like, nope, I can't do it, you can study. You can read books. You can listen to podcasts like this. You can watch TED Talks. You can take a class um, without feeling you have to go back to get the whole degree. You can ask to tag along to a meeting. You can, um, you could, you could ride the elevator with your boss and ask questions about how decisions are made so you get some insights into whether or not your work really does feel connected. There are loads of things that we can be doing right now that are side quests so that when we're ready to jump on the horse and go to the castle and slay the dragon and save the princess we can go at it full speed yeah i agree a hundred percent i mean i think a lot of people the, the the major issue with a lot of people is they're actually so tired when they get home from work i mean we've all been there right i've i've been there you know and and that actually makes it very difficult to find the energy to sort of study but things have changed like the last 10 years now you can listen to podcasts when you're doing the dishes right you can there's so much information now that 
we are spoilt. We're actually spoilt for, for choice. We can listen to experts like you speaking and explaining things to the world for free. Like everywhere you go, there is a, a direction you can take, but it all needs to come back to what you want to do. Where do you want to go? And and then I think you just get on with it. Like you just get stuck in, right, and start learning and learning and learning. And then one day you're like, wow, I've been studying that. I've, I've, I've like, you, you know, done 10,000 hours now. Like I really know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I think that I think that here's the thing. You can't be insatiably hungry for someone else's goals, for someone else's dreams, for someone else's life. It's got to be the thing that you want. And so the nice thing about these side quests, the nice thing about studying, the nice thing about the fact that the barrier of entry is so low because it's free, you can learn about something and you can decide 20 minutes into the podcast, you know what? I always thought that I was fascinated by this, that, and the other. It turns out I don't care. And you can turn it off and you can yeah. move on to the next thing. The commitment is very, very low. I, I think that we are, we are raised to feel like failure is finale. If we, you know, at, at some point we demonstrate competence in a thing and we get hired for it and we get praised for it and we get promoted for it and we get paid for it and we think, okay, I have to keep doing that thing. Right. Whether you're a hospital worker, whether you're a CEO, whatever it is that you're doing, we have to we have to keep doing that thing. Step to the right. You're going to fail. Step to the left. You're going to fail. So keep doing that thing no matter what. And then, you know, and and, and so we, we spend all of our time living in our center of excellence. Let's just perfect that. But then think about our children, our children in school. They fail all day long every day, right? And they never spend any time resting. They never spend any time wallowing. They figured out algebra, it's time for geometry. You've got geometry, it's time for trigonometry. You've got trigonometry, look out, calculus is in the house, right? They just, they keep iterating and learning. And so what they learn is that they learn to be comfortable in the discomfort. They learn to live on the very bleeding edge of their, of their incompetence. And because they spend time on the edge of their incompetence, they understand that failure is not finale, but failure is fulcrum. And so I would urge people who are thinking, you know, I'm not really happy where I am, but if I change something, I might fail to say, well, actually, in that failure, as soon as I stop living into everyone else's definition of success, I can actually make room for my own. Right. So we're really talking about firstly defining what success looks like. And then we're actually talking about a growth mindset, aren't we? That's really down to the to the bottom of it. Right. I mean, I think that's part of it. I think I think we have to figure out what success looks like for us. For you know, look, I, I read Lean In in 2013, and and I really wanted to love it. I really thought I was supposed to love it. I I was part of the army of women. We all loved it, but I didn't. And I didn't love it not because of the privilege or any of the other the other you know things that have been thrown at Cheryl Sandberg. I don't I don't fault her for that. I think she was right to use every bit of access and privilege she has to to, to find success. I did that. I succeeded that way, albeit with a few less zeros behind my paycheck. But <laughs> but 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 I I still. I still threw myself into everything. And then I looked around one day and I went, okay, well, you know, as I said, I'm at the top at the top of what? So for me, it's, it's, it's saying there are many definitions of success and that singular myopic unflinching definition that the fastest, most expedient path to the corner office is the only one. I think limits all of us. We're limited by other people's ideas of ambition. We're limited by other people's anxieties. We're limited by other people's hopes and fears and dreams. And I think in those limits, we lose ourselves. And so the first step is to, is to ignore everybody else and decide what does success mean for you? It may mean working in a job that you hate because it gives you a salary you love. It may mean working for a cause that is so true to you, but you know, eating ramen soup because that's all you can afford. It can be lots of different things, but each one of us will define 
success differently. And I want people to lean into that. Then the second part is to have this growth mindset and to figure out, well, what does that mean you need to change and where do you need to grow in order to live into that definition and, 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 and shirk the, 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 the bounds of everybody else's. And then finally, it really is figuring out where it is that you're at your best, when you are at your happiest, you're most joyful, you're most engaged, because we know that workers who are engaged are 22% more profitable and more productive for their companies. So where is it that everything that you do well and everything that you love is being called upon to, to, to serve the problem at hand? And that's really when you can live your best life because that's when you're in your fundamental state of leadership. This, this, this thing that Harvard Business Review defines as, as when all of us, uh, everything that we do well when we're firing on all cylinders and that's the thing that's needed. That's when you really can be limitless and live your best life. Yeah. And just enjoy what you do, right? Like, I don't, I think so many people also are too hard on themselves. Like, you, 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 you need to just sort of sit back and say, well, do you know what? It's okay that, I, that I'm not doing that right now. It's okay. And tomorrow's another day, and I'm going to move towards my goal every day. And when I get there, I'm going to get there, you know? And also, it's okay that I'm not doing what I love right now, but it's also okay that I don't love what I was doing before, and I want to change that. Like, at yeah. every age and at every life stage, we're going to want and need different things. So when I was 21 years old and I was volunteering on a president the United States presidential campaign, I had all the calling in the world. I was up to my ears in idealism, but I was worth my weight in ramen soup. I mean, that was all I can afford, but I didn't care because I was fine couch surfing. I was fine, um, you know, wearing dirty clothes. I was fine not having any control over whether or not I was being, you know, flown to Mississippi or Montana to, to run events because I was so all in about, about what I was doing. Now, as I'm approaching 50, I care a lot more about, you know, the kind of hotels I stay in and the kinds of planes that I travel on and, um, and, and whether or not if I'm going on stage, I have to take 14 flights to get there or it's a big crowd. Like my, what makes me happy now and my measurements of success and where, how I want to show up in my personal life and my professional life are completely different. And my guess is, and I'm not there yet, but 20 years from now, as I'm, as I'm approaching 70, I'm going to be thinking completely differently about these things as well. And so I think I want to, I just want people to let themselves off the hook a little bit and say, just because I trained to be X doesn't mean it's bad if I'm now wanting to be Y. Yeah. I mean, I think also we've, we've got to sort of talk about people who you hang out with, right? Because, you know, there's this age old thing. They either say that you're the sum of the, the, the five people you hang out with the most or the 10 people that you hang out with the most. Right. And from personal experience, I, I've, I've lived that. So, you know, many times in my life, I've actually changed who I've hung out with. A lot of those old friends, they do remain. But I think that, you know, if you want to grow a business and you want to build a massive business or you want to be the CEO or you want to do this and that, you need to perhaps change your friends, change what you watch on television. Don't watch television at all. Be more selective in where you spend your time, you know. And these things, are, for, 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 for me, are like absolutely crucial. Couldn't agree more. I believe uh, wholeheartedly uh, that if you are the smartest person in any room, you're in the wrong room. I just, I really believe that. And I think that if you want to raise your game, you got to be with people who are ahead of you. Um, I think it's totally fine to spend time with people that you're mentoring and that you're championing, that you're helping to grow as well. But, oh boy, if, if, if you are not with people who, who can look at you and see your greatness and push you, to, to, to be the best version of yourself that you can be, not the best version of themselves, but the best version of yourself. I think that, I think that you're really giving yourself, um, short shrift. I, I, I do believe that, um, it, that every time I've ever made a significant, uh, change in my life, um, and, and found success in it, it's because I surrounded myself with people who were good at what they did and were good in their hearts as well. Yeah. And then it doesn't matter what industry they're in. I mean, that's the thing is a lot of people are like very industry specific, you know, and it's like, well, actually, <clears throat> you can 
you can find people who might not even have a job. They might just be working for a charity and they might not eat, they might be on unemployment benefit. But if you see something within them, like I've got a friend in the local church here, he spent 10 years in jail. Uh, he's helping with the homelessness project in, in, in my city that he's launched himself. Uh, and he's completely changed. And like, you know, don't be afraid to just hang out with like totally different people is, is, is what I'm saying. But be careful because, you know, you become who you hang out with, right? Like you really do. Yeah. And, and I, I really think that, um, greatness and accountability and, um, and, and brilliance really knows no bank account balance. I mean, they truly, you can find you, it, I, there, there's a, a, a quote that goes something like everybody, everybody you come in contact knows a lot about something you know nothing about. Yeah. And I really, I believe that to be true. And, um, and, and, and I think that we spend a lot of time watching the stuff that we already know. You know, we go to, um, we go, we, 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 we rewatch movies that we love or we, um, we talk to people about books that we've already seen or maybe we'll watch episodes of TV shows that we've already seen before because it's just, it's comfortable and it's safe. And, you know, that's fine. There's a space for that. But I found myself years ago um, going to TED.com and watching TED Talks, and I would always watch talks about stuff I know about. I was like, oh, I know lots about talent, and I know lots about human potential, and I know lots about happiness. I'm going to watch lots of talks about those things. And then I realized all I'm doing is sitting, staring at my screen or listening to my earbuds on my commute, nodding in agreement. But I'm not learning anything new, so I force myself to start listening to TED Talks on on string theory and physics and space travel and mathematics and where does creativity come from and things that were uncomfortable to me and pushed me. And and yet I found that the more I listened to them, the more curious I got about them. And so I just this this space of being this this idea of being uncomfortable. I think is a good space to be in. If, you know, if you're unhappy, get more uncomfortable is, is I think better advice than, you know, seek low ground. That's funny. I've, I've actually got a friend. He's, he's Britain's leading hypnotist, right? And, and we, we talked about the, um, the kind of the way that everybody is sort of, you know, like Anthony Robbins and people, they encourage everyone to like be outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. And I think it's important to kind of just think about that because, I don't know, for me, I like to always be learning, always be stretching my brain. So for me, that is my comfort zone. I'm in my comfort zone, being out of my comfort zone, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, they get confused. And for some people, being in their comfort zone might just be very, very you know, calm and relaxed. And they might not want to learn loads and loads of different things. And, and it's like... It's a it's a very difficult one um, because we're sort of sort of edging into the life coaching kind of realm, aren't we here? Yeah, but I think it's more I think it's I think it's more than just sort of life coaching. Um, I think it's saying that you cannot grow and change if you keep doing the same thing. True. And yet we get, you know, if you live in that center of excellence and you continue to do something well, you get promoted because it's, you know, you just, they keep passing you up the line, right? (laughs) Somebody leaves and you get promoted. And in each of those new positions, we're asked to do new things. We're asked to stretch our management chops or to take on more clients or to have a bigger catchment area or whatever it is that we're doing. Those, you know, you get paid more, you get a better title because you're asked to do more. So we're going to have to do things that are uncomfortable anyway. We're going to have to be in a space of growth and learning. And so if we can do it in a place in our, in, in our, in our, in our life where we can be uncomfortable learning new things and when we have to do it in our work, it's not as hard. Right. Right. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I've got a friend, I've got a friend called, uh, called Eric, right? And, and he, he, he's basically, he's got a few aeroplanes and stuff like that. And he's like, you know, you really need to learn how to fly. Yeah. This is what he said to me. He said, I'm like, no, I don't really need to learn how to fly. (laughs) I I actually really do. Yeah. And, and, and if you look at the cost of it, it's actually, it's actually cheaper than buying a new car. Like if you, if you, if you buy a new car every couple of years, right, you probably, would have more money in your pocket if you learned how to fly an aeroplane and had an aeroplane, right? So depending on the size of the plane, right? 
So, so he said to me, right, you need to sign up to this website and you need to learn uh, about all of these different things. And I signed up to it and I did all these tests and I was like, oh, wow, this is really hard. Like it mm. was really, really hard. So I, I think it's really good to just, to just check, like learn something new every day, just learn something new because it's, it's exciting to like just see how we've, how far we've come in the last what? 50 years, 20 years, five years even, like how much more information is there available now than before we had the internet? You know, I was actually asked on a podcast, I told you I've done, you know, for over 50 podcasts in the in the run up to launching Limitless. And I got asked in one of them pretty early on, well, what advice would you give your 20 year old self listening to this podcast? And I said, what advice would I give my 20 year old self listening to a podcast? that was recorded over the internet that I'm listening to on my mobile device. <laughs> like none of those things existed when I was 20. <laughs> so we have to learn new things because even if we know ourselves super well and want to just do the same thing over and over again for 70 years, which frankly evolution doesn't allow us to do anyway. But even if that were the case, the world around us changes so much that we're going to be forced to learn new technology. We're going to be forced to understand how to do work differently. And so, you know, being in this place where we can continue to learn is okay, but it takes a mindset shift of saying failure is not finale. It's fulcrum. It's funny. I gave this talk a couple months ago in Texas, um, a keynote talk about 45 minutes. And I get to this point where I'm talking about how failure is not finale. It's fulcrum and the importance of learning and growing and changing. And I, and as soon as I say the line, I look over at stage left and I notice in the audience an astronaut. <laughs> and this astronaut, Commander Tim Copra of NASA, has been on not one, not two, but three spacewalks. And I say the line, I look over at him and I was like, oh, Except for you, sir, <laughs> for you, failure would most definitely be finale. But for everybody else in the room, all 1,999 other of you, failure is fulcrum. And, but I, so, so it's a really important thing to think about this idea of, you know, as long as there's still breath in your body, there is something that you can learn from failure, from iteration, from growth, from change. And mostly it's how do I do things better? And that's why studies have shown that the most successful entrepreneurs are not the the, the kid in the dorm room thinking he's going to invent the next Facebook. It's not somebody saying, I'm just going to invent, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to be Mark Zuckerberg and it's all going to be great. In fact, the most successful entrepreneurs, first-time entrepreneurs are in their late 30s. And part of it's because they can self-finance a bit, but part of it's because they know themselves and they understand what they do well. And then they also know what they don't do well. And they've learned over time how to surround themselves and complement themselves with people who can, you know, who can, who can be additive where they've got weaknesses. 100%. I mean, I've met some exceptions to that. I've met, I was chatting to uh, the CEO of Lessonly about, I've had him on a couple of, couple of interviews. Super interesting guy. I think he's, I think he's like 29 now. Sure. I mean, of course you know. there are going to be <laughs> exceptions, but I think we look at those exceptions and we say, oh, well, every 29 year old can do that when no, in fact no, no, no. they can't. And frankly, I would, I don't know for a fact, but I would stake money that he wasn't just surrounded by other 29 year olds, but he might have had a few gray hairs giving oh, yeah. some advice along the way too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think having a growth mindset is one thing, but you've got, you've got to have mentors, coaches, uh, advisors. You know, all these people are super important. I mean, you need people in the business that you're in and also outside the business as well, you know. Yeah, I think we make that mistake and we think that your mentor can only be in your line of work. And I think it's helpful to have a champion in your line of work because that's the person who says, well, you know, we've got this project coming up and, you know, we're probably going to decide who gets the promotion based on who does the project well. Let's make sure Nat's assigned to the project, right? Like that's your champion. They need to be in your line of work. They need to be in your business. Um, but I think having um, mentors that are outside of your business is really helpful because they can bring a different perspective. They've got some distance. They probably don't have any skin in the game. And, and I think that they can bring to you a new way of looking at things, which is, uh, is more creative most often. Yeah, very much so, you know. But I, I think if you, if you, if you look back, like, 
and you you went back say 10 years and you said to yourself 10 years ago hey laura uh you're going to write a book and you're going to do this and you're going to be on 56 podcasts in in three months and you're, you're going to be a bestseller and and all this stuff right what would you have said to yourself I would have laughed so hard. I, I, by the time I picked myself off the floor from laughing, I, 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 I would have, uh, I would have, I probably would have called you a liar. <laughs> no yeah. possible way. You know, 10 years ago, I was running an executive search firm. I knew I wanted to figure out an exit strategy, but I hadn't quite figured out how to do that yet. And it was still a couple of years before I approached my business partner and said, we got to figure out a way for me to get out. Like I'm done. I've been done for a while. Yeah. Um, I, you know, at every, uh, major decision point I've had, um, I've, I've ended up taking on a new role, a new adventure, a new challenge for which I had precious little qualifications. <laughs> and, and, and mostly it's because that's what interested me. Like my calling is to be like you is to be constantly learning, to be challenged, to be trying new things. And I would imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast fall into the same category because that's why they're listening to podcasts like this. They're trying to learn and, and grow. And so for me, I was always most interested in jobs where I wasn't that qualified because if I was that qualified, it's because I'd already done it. And I, I love the puzzle. I love figuring it out. I am as surprised as anyone that that I have turned um, a, a, a life of being a raging introvert into being somebody who who goes on podcasts and, and 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 national live TV and speaks on stages in front of thousands of people. It's it is uh, it is hilarious to me. That said. I wrote the book because I couldn't not write the book. It, um, it poured out of me in like three weeks. I, I just, it was, it was, these are lessons that I've learned throughout 25 years of my career of seeing so many people at every level of, of, of their careers in major moments of career shift and understanding what was driving the changes that they were looking to make. When I was trying to write purpose, how to do work that matters, it was really hard and it wasn't working and we were going back and forth and I couldn't make it happen and then when the, the the book shifted to being limitless how to ignore everyone carve your own path and live your best life it poured out of me in three weeks and 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 the truth is it took me three weeks to write but it took me 25 years and three weeks to create yeah it's like picasso isn't it well i would i i i feel quite uh flattered to be compared to picasso at have all in anything story? <laughs> have, you heard, have you heard the story laura I haven't no. So so he was in he was in a restaurant right in Paris and this this lady walked up to him and said, "Hey, can you can you draw me a picture on this napkin?" Yeah. So Picasso drew a picture on this napkin. I think it was of a dove, but I could be wrong. And and then he said, "Okay, great. Here it is. That's a hundred thousand francs, please." And this woman said, "What do you mean a hundred thousand francs?" You took you three seconds. And Picasso said, no, it took me like my whole life to be able to do that in three seconds. Yes. Yes. And that's the point I'm making. And it's like, you know, I don't think I don't think many people have have got to the stage in their lives where they actually know what they want to do. And and I think you've just got to try and just enjoy everything that you're doing every day. Right. Like you've got to try. That's 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 going to lead you to better things, isn't it? And to understand that there may be lessons that you're onboarding now, today, that seem completely irrelevant. But five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you're going to look back and go, oh, that's how this all works together. Yeah, I agree 100%. So what would you, what would you say to people? Like, how, how do you actually ignore everybody? How, how do you do that? Well, I think we have to start by not comparing ourselves to everyone else. You know, we all have these perfect friends with their perfect Facebook profile photos and the perfect first day of school photos and the perfect vacation photos. And I think we spend a lot of time comparing ourselves to other people. You know, it's not just the people that actively tell us what we need to do and we should do and we must do or worse, what we can't do. Yeah. It's all of the insidious Instagram, Facebook, all the social media that we see from people who are living lives that we don't necessarily even want as our lives. 
And, you know, you may see somebody who's got the fancy car and think, I want a fancy car, but you also know that they're working 80 hours a week to get it. And you're thinking, I don't really want to work 80 hours a week. I'm actually quite fine with my middle of the range car for the middle of the range hours that I'm working. And I think a lot of times we see the shiny but we, 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 we don't necessarily say, well, is that really what I want to do? And so it forces us to judge our bloopers by everyone else's highlight reels. And I think we have to stop doing that because when we do, we feel like failures. Yeah, I feel that theme uh, quite a lot. I mean, where I live in Chichester now, which is a, a city in, in England, right, the, the south coast. And here is, is a bit less less like that than where I used to live. I used to live in Hazelmere, which is in Surrey, which is a bit closer to London. And what you find is, is that, you know, it goes back to a lot of people have said this before, but it goes back to, you know, buying a house and a car on credit to to impress people that you don't like, who you're never going to talk to just because they have it and they're doing exactly the same thing. Exactly. And, and, and what a shame that is. And it's not to say that social media is bad. In fact, I love social media. We got connected through social media. Yeah. Social media has allowed me to create, social media has allowed me to create relationships with people that I would never have time to see in person or my past would never cross otherwise. And it's been wonderful. But it also can be insidious because it tells us that we have to follow these, um, you know, these, these, these unex- unrealistic goals of purpose and passion and happiness and balance. And if we don't have all of those things perfectly, then clearly we must be failing. Yeah, it, it can be very depressing, though, because you 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 constantly surrounded by all of this noise with all of these people who actually most of them are really quite unhappy anyway i think you must remember that when you're when you're sitting there i i know they are because i see some of the rants that they have on social media and and don't forget they're only posting pictures and stuff to show a certain element to who they are anyway so they're fake a lot of these people and most of them are fake you know we're getting everybody's we're getting everybody's washed lives we're getting their highlights and all we see are our own bloopers and it's 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 unfair to us and what happens is you know we end up giving votes to people whose voices shouldn't even matter and it actually the worst part about it is that it creates a voice in our own head about what's wrong with you and why don't you have this and why aren't you going there and they seem to go on a fancy vacation and why aren't you going on the fancy vacation and it it we don't want all the things that everybody else has. We probably want some of the things that everyone else has, but we don't want all of them. And if we're looking at all of them, then we feel like we're failing in some way. And so, you know, the idea behind Limitless is to say, well, what really matters to you? Like forget everybody else and what matters to them. Like stop building a life that you're checking off everyone else's boxes along everyone else's definitions of everyone else's version of success only to find out that you're living that life but it's a life that was meant for someone else. I want yeah. people to live a life that's meant for them because that's what's going to matter to them. Yeah. Well, it could be any, it could be all elements of your life that you might be unhappy with, you know? Like I, I remember, I remember, you know, probably five years ago, a really crazy moment in my life. I was just really quite unhappy in my relationship with my wife and this sort of stuff. And, and I, I watched this video, this Wayne Dyer video. You know Wayne Dyer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, he passed away, didn't he? But but this but this video and it was all about Wayne Dyer explains about the story of Ivan Illich. Have you heard about that story? No. Yeah, it's a Tolstoy story, and it's a it's a carpenter, and and the carpenter Ivan Illich, he actually is on his deathbed, and he looks back over his whole life, and he's probably eighty years old, and he looks back over his whole life, and he says, "Whose life was that? It wasn't my life." I just spent 80 years of my life living someone else's life. Exactly. And you know? what a tragedy that would be yeah. if we if we if we sacrifice this one big juicy life that we have. And here here's the thing. I think a lot of times we don't go for the life that we want because we're told that we shouldn't be so ambitious, right? Yeah. Ambition has gotten a dirty word and especially for women. Oh, she's so ambitious. Yeah. Like we don't hear that as much about men, but still we have this whole like hashtag humble brag nonsense. And, and here's my thing. I actually love the word ambition. 
you know, I've, I've put this book out and I've been so honored that it's been, that it's been, um, selling at the rate that it's selling, that it's made bestseller lists and it's right underneath Michelle Obama in the Washington Post and it's just insane. And I was saying to somebody, I'm like, you know what? The next stop is going to be under the oak tree on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah. And he looked at me like I had, like I was like, like I had like horns coming out of my head and I was like, you know, he was like, he was like, why would you say that? I'm like, I don't know. Someone's got to be under the oak tree with Oprah. Why not? Not me. (laughs) He thought I was crazy. But here's the thing. If this is what I ask people when they tell me like, oh, they're afraid to be ambitious. I ask them this very simple question. Would having more money, would having more time, would having more resources, would having more flexibility, would having more of a foundation, would having more of whatever it is that you need in life allow you to show up better for the people that you love and the causes you hold dear? Yeah. And the answer is always, of course, yes. Yeah. So I say to them, then you know what? It's not your ambition. It's your responsibility. I like that. I like that. I think it's really important because if you've, if you've got that inkling to do something and you think that you can do it, yeah, I think you should do it. You know, I've always kicked myself when I haven't done things that I've kind of, that I've kind of had the inspiration or whatever to follow a different direction or something like that. And I haven't done it. What's really weird is I generally end up doing it anyway, but later in a different yes. way. And it's, and it's very strange. So you, you're prolonging the pain by actually not taking action is, is how I look at it. I think that's right. I think the best, the best antidote to a rut is action, some sort of action. And yeah, it should be thoughtful action. It should be measured action. It shouldn't be just jumping out of an airplane, but some kind of one step in front of the other, because we, we fail to have these big dreams because we don't necessarily have confidence in them. And I think the way to, to, to develop confidence is not by just dreaming big and jumping for something. I think it's to take the small steps tending your crops, right? Going on those side quests, taking the small steps that allow us to show that we have competence. And every time you take one step after the next and show you have competence, you go, oh, well, if I've taken these five steps, maybe I could run a mile. I've run the mile. Maybe I could run a 5K. I've run a 5K. Maybe I could run a 10K. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go run a marathon, but you can say, I've gone step after step after step. And in those steps, I have demonstrated to myself competence. And that competence has now given me confidence. And that confidence will allow me to have the kinds of dreams that I want so that I can live a life of consequence. Totally. I bet you're an amazing speaker. Like <laughs> well, I am passionate about what I believe, and I know it from 25 years of seeing it in action. So I think that I am. Uh, I think that I can bring a powerful, compelling message that inspires people to move, and I have great fun doing it. So I, I, that makes me a great speaker. That's fantastic. But mostly, I've been surrounded by lots of great speakers who have shown me that you can't get up on stage and just go into speaker voice and be didactic and teach, but you have to really inspire and move an audience. And so, you know, it comes back to that learning mentality. It's, 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 if I'm going to show up and I'm going to do this, the people in my audience take it seriously. And in fact, you want to talk about take it seriously. There's somebody who I profile in the book who believed when she got the book and saw her story and read the whole book, believed so wholeheartedly in the message of being limitless that she actually tattooed to her arm the the art of the cover of the book because she wanted a daily reminder that she should be the very best version of herself and here was how to do it. So I feel I take very seriously my responsibility on stage to get it right. Because people who are listening to me on stage, people who are listening to this, people who are reading my book are listening to what we're saying and changing something about their lives through it. And I think that we have a responsibility because we have the microphone, not just to not get it wrong, but to really get it right. Yeah, we've got to inspire. That's my mission as well. You know, I just want to absolutely even if even if you just encourage one person to get off the sofa and get their ass down the gym. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That one person, right? If that's you, get up off the, get up off the sofa and get exercising, right? Or go and listen to something interesting that you want to learn about and just get on with it because it is fun, right? Eventually it becomes easy. 
Absolutely. And I think this is the, this is the thing. I think once you start doing that, you realize that, that in fact, there is a different solution. And once you realize that, it's, it's almost untenable not to go towards that solution. Cause once you see it, the only thing standing in the way of showing up better at work, of being a better manager, of being a better performer, of being a better, you know, family member, friend, spouse, et cetera, is you. And you can change. We can all change. I mean, we would not exist today after millions of years of evolution if we were not capable of change. It's literally in our DNA to change. 100%. So how do people find you then, Laura? Yeah, so I am on all the socials at Hey L G O. So my initials, Laura Gassner Odding. So H E Y L G O. Hey L G O. And I'm at heylgo.com. Very easy to find me. Um, if people are listening and they're like, I don't even know where to start. I would say, um, I put together a quiz. It takes about 15 minutes, um, one five, 15 minutes. And, uh, there's about 60 questions and it will walk you through each of the elements of consonants that will help you figure out where you might be stuck and then give you some tips about how to get unstuck and that quiz is at limitlessassessment.com and again I'll say that limitlessassessment.com so they can find me at heylgo and heylgo.com or limitlessassessment.com the book limitless how to ignore everybody carve your own path and live your best life is available at Amazon Barnes and Nobles anywhere fine books are sold wow wonderful you've been very kind uh, with your time very generous thank you thank you so much it's been great fun Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.